السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته أنا عمار من بودكاست مستدفر حلقة اليوم حتكون مختلفة لأنه سجلناها باللغة الإنجليزية لأنه قبل شهور كنت في ورشة عمل في أبوظبي كانت عن كتابة السيناريوهات واللي كان جاد ربنا كان واحد من كتاب هوليوود اللي اشتغلوا مع مجموعة من الشركات المشهورة حقة الإنتاج هناك زي شركة دريم ووركس وديزني وغيرهم يمكن تعرف واحد من الأفلام اللي هو كتب السيناريو تبعها بريدج تو تيرابيثيا طبعا الرجال ضرب مشوار من لوس انجلوس الين ابو ظبي وصراحه ما كنت بضيع الفرصه ان انا اتعلم شيء من الراجل ده وما بضيع عليكم انتم كمان فرصه انكم انتم تتعلموا ان شاء الله تعجبكم الحلقه وشكرا لاستماعكم Right now in Saudi there's a big boom when it comes to media and content creation films and and you see a lot of people saying that they're, they're filmmakers and writers and How can you determine somebody is or is not? Like if, if you're a doctor, definitely you have a doctorate degree or you're in medicine or something. But what deter- how can you determine that this person is a writer or a filmmaker or well, that's not? That's an interesting question. Every, everybody, everybody is potentially an artist, right? I mean, we all have, we all have the equipment within us to be an artist, to, to want to try to express our vision of how the world works or our sense of how things are cooking along inside us. So really anyone can pick up a paintbrush and be a painter or pick up a pen and be a writer or pick up their iPhone and be a filmmaker. So um, it's uh, there's no barrier to entry. It's just a question of stepping forward into trying to express yourself and making the choice to do that, in our case, with, with a visual story that you would tell you know, through a film um, or a television show. But when do you officially get to be one, <laughs> one of those people? It's a, it's a bit blurry, I suppose. The first time you sit with uh, three or four of your friends and watch, watch a, a little film that you've put together or, or even just a, a YouTube episode that you put together or any of this, you, you've entered the world of being a filmmaker. You're sharing what's inside you. You're sharing... Uh, your sense of what's what people might want to see for humor or for for knowledge or for transcendence you're sharing that with other people so you've entered the world of being a filmmaker um, that of course might be a long way from when you're actually ever paid to do it or when you're ever actually invited to be part of a festival or when you ever get critical recognition so of course there's a a journey into all of that if that's the direction you're heading in but i you know, have kind of have to emphasize that filmmaking can be like music painting or writing it doesn't have to be something that you're doing uh for vast public recognition it can just be a form of expression um the great thing about the situation for us today is because of uh the possibilities of streaming and the internet and all of this the little stories that you put together can show up. I mean, YouTube is essentially a channel of millions and millions and millions of filmmakers, if you think about it. There's a huge range in quality of those things, but um, so it's pretty exciting that way. Uh, I think the biggest thing that I, that I love to talk about, you know, when different different regions are developing their, their storytelling and, and their film industries or their television industries is... It's not about crossing over internationally. It's not about Hollywood. Uh, those can be part of your path, of course, but it's really the excitement of 
of bringing stories out of where you're from, of what your experience is. Um, and the fun part is finding out that some of those stories can be pretty universal. If I'm telling the story of struggling as a, you know, a young boy struggling with his father, <clears throat> and that's set in Alain or set in Burbank, California, there can be many parallels in what's going on in that story. Um, but then, obviously, it's a delight within each culture to play with the things that that we know and understand in each culture. How can you know that this story really can resonate or has the power to resonate and connect with a lot of people? It's like, is, is there certain things that you look for in a story that you feel like it's universal? Or um, is there a formula for it? Well, there's all a hundred formulas, of course. It just take a little time. Everyone will have a different formula. There's the half-hour sitcom. There's the sketch and comedy. There's the three-hour, you know, drama, adult drama. Um, all of those have patterns and formulas that you can study if that's your particular uh, you know, area of interest. But how do you, how do I personally start to see something special happening that that lifts it into being something I want to see or that I remember or that I talk to other people about? For me, it's uh, it's generally about there being an, a personality within it. I sometimes talk about that as like an, emo- an emotional core to it. But it, even in broad comedy, um, where the intention is just to get you laughing, there's still there's still a personality to it. It's a very distinct personality. And when you get down to that, a kind of difference in the message and the emotion that different you know comic troops use as well. So. That would be that would be one way of measuring it. The other way of measuring is just are people responding to it? You know, if you put something up, are people finding it? Some of that's just doing all the hard work of getting it out there for people to see. But there's a reason that things go viral. It's not just random. Um, mm. And there's a reason why there's some films or shows that we talk about long after we've seen them. You know, sometimes years after we've seen them. So. Uh, Unfortunately, you can't you can't demand that it it's either it's just in how audiences respond to what you've done. Um, but one of the joys of 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 independent filmmaking or of, of doing your own doing your own things is there are there are festivals, there are opportunities, there are channels where you can put this stuff up uh, or you know situations where you can screen this with audiences and find out how people are responding to mm. it. So. But I don't think, again, I don't, it's not like you get a, you're right, it's not like being a doctor because you're not getting a degree. Oh, you can get a degree, put it this way. You can get a degree that tells you that you're a, a, a great storyteller or that you've gone through a certain program that confers that. But that's, that's great as far as learning many of the, the skills of the craft. But that degree doesn't in any way ensure that you're a storyteller who's going to connect with your audience. Um, and you don't need a degree for that at all. That's one of the joys of this. You don't need a degree to be a great musician, and you don't need a degree to be a, a great, a great filmmaker. Um, well, for a second, just let us uh, make sure that we're recording. Okay. Yes, we are. Okay. I'm Amara Saban. And I'm Jeff Stockwell. 
Can you tell people a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a career screenwriter who's based in Los Angeles. I'm originally from Boston, which is on the East Coast of the United States. But go Patriots. Go Patriots, exactly. <laughs> they weren't a very good team when I was a child, but they are certainly a good team now. <laughs> um, and, uh, and like many people that want to make a career in, in writing, I moved to Los Angeles because uh, in, in reality, if you wanted in the United States, if you want to be a, a professional screenwriter, 98% of the companies that you're going to be working with are based there and the best way of connecting with them and and, um, and having a chance at getting a job with them is to be close by to go to meetings and meet people who can make introductions for you and, and schmooze as we say mm-hmm. um, I've, I started out uh, in Los Angeles for 10 years doing all kinds of different jobs I was a story analyst which is basically the person who reads scripts for companies reads tons and tons of scripts and suggests whether they might make good movies or not. Um, and then I worked uh, in development, which means I was a someone who was actually helping shape the scripts and giving writers notes, all while I was really trying to become a writer uh, at night, working on my material or on the weekends working on my material. And slowly but surely, I have to confess it was over several years, uh, I finally started getting people to... Um, Look at my scripts, and then and then pay for my scripts uh, uh, or buy my scripts. Uh, so for the last twenty years or so, I've been making my living as a as a screenwriter in in Hollywood. I've done independent projects, independent films as well, but I do a lot of work for uh, studios like uh, Fox and Disney and Paramount. And it's it's not like usually people when they set out to be writers. Um they just start writing scripts and stuff but it you don't get your first script usually like picked up or you just really make it the first trial uh yeah i mean there, there's always there's always people that do get their first script picked up and that's pretty exciting yeah and, and of course all of us who are trying to get going as writers look at those people and say wow i wish that was me and um in my case i think i wrote uh, 11 scripts uh, 11 feature length scripts so these are 90 page scripts or 100 page scripts before anyone paid any attention to me um, and uh, you know and that's that's a difficult path because you're writing those scripts in your free time after work you're uh, it's taking you a long time to put them together but obviously I learned a lot about writing with each script that I did so um, this goes back to what I was saying about emotional core it's probably not an accident that the 12th script I wrote was about my family and somehow that one connected with people more than the ones that I was making up more making up because I love certain kinds of movies and was, was trying to imitate them a little bit. Um, so, uh, it's not any different than, than again, being a painter or a musician or any of those things where you've got to, uh, expect there to be a journey, a journey in which you're learning, a journey in which it takes a while for people to discover you and talk about you um, and see your work. And obviously a a big break is when something that you've written gets made. So you can either wait for the opportunity of someone else putting the money into doing that. In my case, uh, in my case, that was the big thing that changed my career. I I wrote an an independent film um, that ended up going to Sundance and ended up having... um, uh, Jodie Foster, the actress, be a, a really you know, a producer and big supporter of, and even played a part in it. And then that suddenly gave me uh, 
gave me some legitimacy. I wasn't just another guy of the thousands of folks out there writing someone. I was suddenly someone who had a Sundance film and a Jodie Foster film. And then it's not like that meant that I was suddenly a much more amazing writer. It just meant that people noticed. then noticed me. And then I suddenly had a much easier time uh, getting people to look at my work. Sometimes I feel like, for me, being like, I didn't set out to be a writer. I, it just happened by necessity. Mm-hmm. I was I, I wanted to do my own material. I didn't find any writers who mm-hmm. believed in the material yep. I wanted to do, so I had to write it myself. Yep. And then that took me to uh, the Arabic uh, Sesame Street show mm-hmm. where... Uh, they got me in to also like write and and be a puppeteer and and it just grew from there but I sometimes feel intimidated when I'm with other people who studied writing or filmmaking and then they start using those lingos and and you know those acronyms and and <laughs> and words and you like you're clueless with that and you feel like it's like do I have the chops to be something like that? Yeah, it's a little. I mean, it's a, it's like anything. If if you're if you're working on songs and then you're suddenly talking to people who have a whole background in in music theory or song craft and start using the terms of that, it can be intimidating. But that doesn't mean you can't write a great song. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I didn't. I don't have a background in studying a lot of screenwriting. I actually spent most of my career studying poetry. Um, the freedom in that was there was no way to make a living as a poet. So when I graduated, I was looking for opportunities to see how I could actually pay my rent as a writer. And I loved film. Uh, I had grown up watching film all the time. So um, it became natural, but I didn't, uh, I, I wasn't really scared off by the terminology. It, it's a, it's a craft. It's like learning to build a boat. You have to figure out what the shape is supposed to be. So it will float and not tip over. But other than that, you know, things are, you have a lot of range of what you can do. Um, but what you what you were saying about how you came to writing out of being kind of frustrated that there wasn't material for you, um, I, I think a good number of people come to it that way. There's a lot of uh, people who's, who's, whose emphasis, sense of themselves was, I want to direct or uh, I want to act, um, who then out of the desire to have you know material that that really is theirs or really they have more control over um or or in the case of actors that have parts that they feel are rich and fulfilling for for what they want to do have gone and, and written scripts and 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 built that way i guess the the only caution is that um you know write, writing in itself is an art and uh, it's amazing if you can be someone who is writing and directing and acting in all those things. It's fantastic. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're probably not going to do a very good job with the writing if you still don't step forward into the whole process. If it's just something you're trying to get out of the way you know, so you can get to directing. You know, I'm sure you found when you're working on your stuff, you still have to really create the space to write oh, well. Yeah. Um, it's not just a gate you go through to get to what you really want to do um no i mean i I enjoy the writing process just getting those ideas and as soon as you have um you know like a series of things or ideas for uh, a certain plot or for a certain story it's just amazing how you just sit and 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 go on the details and write the, the dialogue and stuff so when i'm writing i'm i'm writing i'm not thinking of oh i need to get this done to 
go and shoot it. I'm just trying to get the best story possible. And yeah. in some stories, in some cases, we worked for like three years working on a on a story. You know, you go put some details in, and then you leave it for a month or two, come back, and then you just edit it out, and until you you feel that you're satisfied, which is really hard. But it's, it's, you get to a point where you feel like, okay, this is good enough, and I can, you know, whatever things you need to add to it it's going to be in the performance maybe in the direction in the in in the art direction and uh, stuff like that that's i mean that's absolutely true you i think i think uh i'm probably misquoting but i think it was like the french poet verlaine that said that you you can't really finish these things you just have to abandon them you have to decide you have to decide yeah. okay i'm i'm leaving you now because i could spend the rest of my life circling trying to get this right um and that is absolutely true Uh, it's fine that the work that you do lives can live with you for a long time. It can take many years to get something um, the way you want it. For me, that wouldn't be so much that I would spend uh, years and years on a script, though some people might do that. <clears throat> But I might spend years and years with the ideas percolating in my head, making notes, trying to find my way towards the story, leaving it for months, leaving it for years, mm -hmm. realizing I'm still drawn to it. So there can be kind of a bubbling gestation period that takes a long time. Yeah, for the story. Um, yeah, for the story to find its way, where you leave it and go do other things. And um, if if you're spending years and years on your actual script, um, unfortunately, I think uh, you know it's such a tricky industry in a way. And your script is not. If you spend ten years writing the most beautiful script in the world. And it's still never, and you never make it into a film, or someone else doesn't make it into a film. Unfortunately, no one's ever going to see that script. There is no world in which people are reading beautiful scripts that don't get made. Oh, yeah. I mean, there is a little bit of that, but it's not really a. So, I actually think it's kind of important to, uh, you know, be able to set set your your baby aside at certain points and go on to the next one because you can't quite predict. This goes back to me writing 12 scripts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can't really predict which one is going to stick to the wall. Um, and uh, if you really want to get going, you want to get a film made, uh, you, you, need to keep, you need to keep generating new ones. You can't be, you've got to give everything you've got to each project you work on, but you can't be too precious about it. Like, it's the, my only chance is this one, the one script. Mm. Okay. Oh, cool. We've got some rock and roll background. Something also I've noticed with a lot of an up upcoming and also experienced filmmakers is that they tend to go more towards the artistic type of films and not really a commercial type of film. And, I, and you did both, I think. Um, yeah, all of us love, well, not all of us, but many, many of us that want to make a career in, in this uh, or that want to spend a lot of time in it are motivated by wonderful films that we love. Those don't necessarily have to be, you know, artistic films they don't necessarily have to be famous you know independent or foreign films or um or highbrow intelligent films it could be just some film that you love from your childhood in many cases it's an animated film in many cases it's some odd odd action film so it's true that there's a difference between making a a small personal or, or very quirky or experimental film and setting out to to make a a more traditional Hollywood, Bollywood industry film. So, um, and some of that just boils down to uh, whether you, 
what part of your goal is wanting to make a consistent living at it. So if you are mostly driven just as an artist that I just want to make my work and fight for that, that's fantastic. And, and if you can figure out a way to make that happen and, and, and pay your rent and, and keep going, that's great. Uh, but it's actually, of course, it's a, it's a tricky dance to, to make a living at this if you need to make a living at it or want to make a living at it. So um, in that case, you, you do end up doing, um, uh, even, if you're, even if your vision was to become you know, the next Jim Jarmish, you do end up doing uh, uh, you know, work for studios and other productions. For me, that isn't like, that's never been like, oh, now I'm doing something for a studio so I can get back to doing my, my own stuff. I, like, I, I love both. I mean, I was motivated to become a writer out of wanting to write my own stories for sure. My, my initial goal wasn't, oh, I, I, you know, I want to adapt other people's books and I want to uh, work on ideas that, that producers bring. No, I wanted to work on my own stuff. But what I found in a life of going back and forth between my own stuff and projects that other people have already have or bring to me or that I compete to have the, you know, compete to be able to work on is that I end up bringing myself deeply into those projects too. So, so it's just the act of writing that you're still reaching into yourself. You're still doing all the, um, all the things that brought you to writing in the first place, even if it's based on, on a project that's been launched somewhere else, or even if it's happening in, in a, as a more mainstream Hollywood movie. That's my experience as a writer. Now, so I have to emphasize, I love to write. I, I really, I'm a writer. I, I'm not a director. Um, and maybe that's, you know, maybe that you'll get a different answer from someone who is writing and directing. Um, though I suspect most directors who gladly do um, Hollywood productions too, in, the, in, in between their other ones, or, or some of them, many of them do, don't feel that those Hollywood jobs are just something they're doing to get to their next film. They're investing themselves deeply in those too. There was a, 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 a wonderful filmmaker named John Sayles when I was starting out, who was making really personal films like uh, The Return of the Sea Caucus 7, um, uh, or Brother from Another Planet, or these kinds of films that I'm talking about back in the 70s now. But he also was writing uh, movies like Piranha, um, you know, and sort of exploitation movies, you know, at the same yeah. time. And I, <clears throat> I always admired that movement back and forth between the, the goofy and the sublime. Um, well, speaking of other people's stories, now you you wrote the script for Brith, uh, Bridge to Terabithia. Yes. Yeah. And that's an amazing film. I mean, I've, I've seen it like I don't know how many times. And the other day in the workshop and we're watching it and I still, you know, tears were rolling down my eyes during that film. Is it, how hard is it or is it hard to take like a story from a book and turn it into a script or like is it easier just to make up something or is it easier to just get somebody else's work and just turn turn it into something it's it's really it's really different i'm not sure one is easier than the other you would tend to think that the book provides a plot so that you don't have to come up with your own plot and there's a truth to that um and coming up with a plot is not an easy thing to do so it does save you that in some ways but but the but the problem is with a book is that books are almost always the majority of the books you love are happening inside 
the main character's head. So they are books are written so that you can be inside what people are thinking, how they're feeling, you know, whether what they're remembering, what they're hoping for. Um, you're inside the head of characters often, and how they're reacting, what their opinion is of people as they're looking at them, and, and what fear and all that stuff that they're feeling is. And um, and film isn't doesn't do that. Film film can't show you inside people's heads unless it's really be experimentally actually you know trying to do that. Um, so it can be a lot of work to figure out how do I get the stuff that I love about this book that's all intangible to be something that I can see and hear and then feel in a film, which is the reason why so many so many books that people love just don't end up translating well to film. Sometimes people are smart enough never to try because they realize this is just not going to translate. But sometimes people do try, uh, and it can be a disaster. Um, it can also be a magical uh, transformation, too. But so there's a there is a lot of work in figuring out how to how to make that transition. I don't think it's easier, but it is it is different. There is something fun when you're doing an original thing to sitting down and having no no guidelines. When you're adapting a book, uh, especially if it's a book that has a lot of people that have read it and loved it, you uh, you don't have a lot of room to to go veering wildly away from the book. If it's not a well-known book, you actually do have quite a, a, a quite a bit of room to do that. Um, and often, uh, often books set up some really interesting things, but really need to go to different places uh, or need to have entire third acts invented, you know, for the film version of it. Terabithia, so much of what is great in that movie was in the book, but there was still a lot of work to do in in imagining what Terabithia would be. Uh, and and in shaping, being sure to shape and pace the things that that main character Jess is facing there. So I'm always looking for in a book, or not just a book, a magazine article or an, or an idea, the sense of of what will I be able to connect to, even though someone else is, you know, researched this story. If it's a journalist's magazine piece, or if it's a biography, I've done some work where I've done scripts about people's life stories. Um, it's still, I have to look to see what is my point of connection and entry entry to this. It was very easy in Bridge to Terabithia because the main character in that story felt a lot like me, how I saw myself in certain ways uh, in my relationship to my family and in my relationship to my desire to create things and how I felt in school. Not as extreme as in the Bridge to Terabithia, but it was it was uh, um, easy for me to connect. Do you feel it's important to? contact the writer of the book if they're still alive and get some information from them or the book is more than enough for you it's really fun to to talk to the author of the book if you have the opportunity to um and it's it's actually it's it's lovely because of course you admire the book and you um and you want them to admire the film you don't want to you don't want to blow it mm -hmm. you don't want them to hate the film but at the same time a film is so fundamentally different than a book that um, it's probably very good advice for for an author to take a deep breath if they want to do the movie version of it and and accept 
uh, and be open to the way that story is going to grow and change and how it's going to do some things differently and some things not as well and perhaps a few things better uh, than the book does. So um, now in some films, people work very closely with the author. Sometimes the authors even do uh, you know, versions, drafts of the script. Sometimes that author does all the drafts of the script. It's not as easy as it looks for novelists to transition over to being screenwriters because um, it is such, I mean, really writing a novel is, I, I don't want to shoot myself in the foot, but probably much more difficult in many ways than writing a script. Um, but also the things that you're, you know, the techniques and the things you're drawing on are so different. Um, it can be, if we spent time studying and looking at all the films that novelists who adapt their own screenplays, we'll see as many disasters as we will ones that have succeeded. And then some novelists end up becoming really, really good screenwriters, um, you know, and, and being able to do both. So. so Free the P, was it in the book or you made it up? So it's funny. I, I think in the workshop the other day, I claimed I made it up. And I think I'm pretty darn sure I did make it up. But here's something that happens. I don't, I, I read the book several times before I write, but I don't sit there with the book in front of me when I'm writing. So it starts to get quite blurry to me after okay. a while what I've made up and what, uh, and, and, and what I took from the book. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I made that up because it's such a silly, it seems like too silly a line. For, for that book is written in such a poetic style um, and that's such a, a laugh line that I that, but I'd have to go back and look at the book and look at the script to see for sure yeah, you worked on uh, kids shows right yeah to all children like way it, back in the beginning my very first um, I worked for a few years for a children's book writer named Maurice Sendak who's most famous for Where the Wild Things Are and he had a small film company um that uh, eventually went on to make movies like Where the Wild Things Are and things. But I was there in the early days before films were made. But actually, I got my first chance to write anything out of... My job there was to was not to write. It was to help find writers and, and work on projects. But he had a show called Little Bear, which was a children's animated show on um, Nickelodeon Channel at the time. So my first writing was a few episodes of that. But then later, I really was... You know, I was writing scripts about my own adolescence and and the one that got some attention um, ended up leading me to another project called Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys. The people that were making Dangerous Lives of Alter Boys had read my script and saw some parallels and and asked me to come in and uh, and work on that one. So my real start, even though I, I have written a, my very first jobs were doing some animation things, um, really got going with that indie film uh, and then from there, from there, though, Dangerous Lives of Ultra Boys was an R-rated, fairly intense film. Please go look for it. It's quite a good film. Uh, not because I worked on it, but because it just came out pretty well. Um, and uh, But it's a rough film. It's an R-rated film about 14-year-olds. And um, But a lot of companies were like, wow, we loved how, how realistic the kids were there. Can you come bring that kind of realism to to our projects and that's how you know that's what led me to bridge to terabithia the irony being that um one of the reasons that that indie film dangerous lies of ultra boys felt so real is because the kids were swearing and they were sneaking trying to sneak around and get drunk there was a lot of things they were doing that you can't do 
in a Disney movie. I uh, wouldn't try to do it in a Disney movie. So, how how different is it writing for children's content compared to just normal? I mean, what's the biggest difference you see that well, people have to keep in mind when writing for children? Or you know, I, a, a funny thing is, is is if you if you live in the world of writing, I do write a lot of. I, we usually call it family content these days because it's not really directed just towards children. It's hopefully that it's going to work for the range of the audience. But content that younger children can see without alarming their parents. <laughs> uh, you know what? I just feel like, and I'm taking this from Send- Murray Sendak himself, is like, you, you just tell the stories you want to tell. You write the way you want to write. And... Um, And if it works for children, great. Then, then that's what you're doing. I, I don't have like these two Jekyll and Hyde selves. Um, the part of me that writes for, you know, does films that children can see and the part of me that writes films that children can't see. I know when I'm working on a film that if it, if it needs to be able to, to be something that, you know, an eight-year-old can go to, of course, I, there's very simple things that you No, you shouldn't, you can't do, whether it's swearing, drinking, uh, you know, too much, too, things that are just too scary, all of that stuff. The trickier part is, is kind of owning and embracing and walking the line of, of giving kids the respect to, to let them process things that are scary and that are emotionally intense and understanding that they can do that. Sometimes, Sometimes the kind of guardians of society feel like, no, no, that's too, you know, that's too much for a kid. Um, there's no trouble letting your kid play a, a video game where they're mowing down hundreds of uh, zombies or whatever with an automatic weapon. But on the other hand, if there's something that suggests, uh, you know, su- suggests that they have a, an unhealthy crush on their teacher, that's, a, that's, you know, that's problem. Um, so, Not that a kid should have an unhealthy crush, but if they even have a healthy crush on their yeah. teacher. So some of, some of that argument just comes from the trust that producers and people making the film. There's a lot of great films that understand kids can process more um, than we think they can and want to. Bridge to Terabithia, you know, I mean, I don't want to give away anything about that film, but it, it asks a lot of a young child to watch that film. And... Um, and For a huge part of the audience, that works. It, it be, it's a journey that the kid is ready to go on, and that's part of the reason the book was so popular. But for some part of the audience, it's outrageous. They can't believe that they were lured into seeing this film, and then, and then things that happen in the film happen that they didn't know were going to happen, and they're upset. it's too much yeah, for a kid. Yeah, that, 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 is, that is an issue that uh, also I face in some of the content I did because I, I do believe certain things kids, even, at least my kids, should watch and know and just open that conversation. Mm-hmm. And for me, film and, and sketches or whatever, or shows, whatever it is that you're going to work on, even podcasts, it's not me trying to force feed people what I have in my head more than... sharing what I have in my head with them to start a conversation. Yes. Um, yeah. And to, you know, try to learn from each other. Um, and at the same time, especially when it's an, something that everybody's watching, if it's on YouTube or it's on television, pe- some people will get upset because of what it is that you were trying to say. It's like on one sketch that I early, early on I did, I had a character who was just, too frustrated and he just wanted to kill himself yeah. and somebody's like no 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 don't you know you know you have a lot to live for and it, and it was done in a comedic way yeah. 
but what the other character was telling to the guy who was trying to commit suicide in a comedic way that it's you're not supposed to do this and i want just wanted to open that dialogue it's like you know like if if if, if it's get some help or if this is something that exists so you mm-hmm. as a parent should talk to your kid yeah. about it when you're watching it something does like exist this so together exactly so yeah. <clears throat> well it's a, you know from that experience there you know it's a tightrope that you walk i mean it's not like we want to expose every young child to every dark and difficult thing uh it's a beautiful part of childhood of having the adults around you <laughs> keep you from having to process that stuff yeah until later on um but i mean film and television stories can be such an important part of that the, the catch is that a, a lot of parents fall into the trap just because we're so busy and we and we often see um see streaming and, and television and these things as a way of kind of distracting the kids or, or occupying the kids while we do all the other stuff we need to do. Um, and we don't really know what they're watching. So, um, so it's comforting to know that there's a, you know, we just know that this show is never going to cross into that territory, you know, or, or, or one of the reasons Disney is probably so successful is people have a sense, well, it's never, it's, there's certain boundaries. It's never going to cross. I can just safely let my kid surf in that channel. Which is great. That's that's important. But I think I also think you've got to leave room for stories that are going to push at those boundaries, and and it's a really a part of the parent to uh, to be aware of what those stories are, to step forward into maybe watching them on their own to see and making their own decision about whether their kid can can watch it and whether it would be a, a kind of great experience to co-watch it many many intense discussions have come between parent and child out of the experience of watching bridge to terabithia but i would i would guess i would say in general it's probably good for a parent to have a sense of of what that the issues that film is going to raise um before they go through it with their kids so that they're not thrown for a loop uh in exactly. the process of it and parents have a responsibility it's like i don't i don't like the fact that they keep telling content creators like no you're supposed to no, do yeah, this yeah. because of my children right you know it's like you are supposed to have a conversation with them and really you know raise them in a certain way and it has to be that way or else everything is going to be stuck in very very clear lanes of what can be done and what can't be done and then those lanes you know get argued over by people who have different attitudes about about uh, what's pro- you know what's proper for a kid to see and what can't so No, I think you need to have all the voices out there and then let let parents curate and be aware of of what things there are there for their kids and what things can't. That said, I don't mind that there's there's channels or or shows where parents don't have to watch every show and safely say, "I know I I know my kid can watch this and it's not going to bring you know, a parent doesn't need to pre-watch every Sesame Street episode." And that's yeah. that's fine that they know that. Um but You know, obviously, taking in these kinds of stories is a much bigger thing than just automatically setting your kid in front of something and let it go. So, especially in the world of film and, and more provocative television, some pretty neat stuff that can happen for families as these shows open up. Um, and there can be mistakes that are made. I mean, people throw a lot of weird stuff at kids. <laughs> you, yeah. do want to, you do want to be paying attention. Um, no, that's true. I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you have a flight to catch and everything. Um, I'm actually driving to Lewa. Oh, catching a flight. Okay, <laughs> got to go see some sand dunes. That's nice. Yeah. So, what um, advice would you give 
uh, to aspiring writers or young writers who are just starting out? Like stuff that you actually learn by doing something that nobody's going to tell you. I mean, the, the biggest, the biggest thing, the biggest first hurdle is there's so many of us, you know, such a huge percentage of us have, think we have a book or a story inside us. And then we might meet someone who writes and say, Oh, I have a great story. Can I tell it to you? So you can write it. And, and, we, and it's because people feel like either because of their experience at school or because it's just difficult that they, they aren't writers. And I maintain now, you know what? We're all writers. We're all writers. If you, if you have a story and you, and you want to tell it through writing or through film, you, you can do that. Um, you just have to be open to the baby steps of learning how to do it. So my biggest frustration is people who talk endlessly about what they want to write, but don't sit down to do the work of writing. And I, I get it. It's daunting. I think you can get, if you can get yourself past that by simply telling yourself every, you know, every pick your day, every Saturday morning when I wake up from nine till noon or even just from nine till 10, I'm going to write for an hour. I'm going to write for two hours. I'm going to write for three hours. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm just going to spend that three hours at my table with my laptop or my pen and paper, just the same way that I might wake up for three hours and go to a soccer match, you know, or, or make, if I can just make that commitment, that's the start to just get yourself in front of it and start going. Cause it's, we spend our lives speaking and thinking and writing is, is just the craft of translating that speaking and thinking and, you know, onto the page in the case of film so that it can be turned back into, <laughs> into speaking often. So just don't think that it's some great mysterious art form. It's really not. Uh, it's something we can all do if you want to do it. It's, it, you know, you got to like it. You have to decide that you like spending that kind of time wrestling with your own head. Um, yeah, for, for me, uh, just to get into the mood of writing, which is sometimes hard when you have like writer's block or something. Mm -hmm. And the trick I did was at one point, uh, I was I usually listen to music, like put noise cancellation headphones mm -hmm. on and listen to music and start writing. And one of the scripts that I wrote that I felt really good about and ideas were flowing and everything, um, a certain song was playing. Mm -hmm. uh, it, I think it was um, Don't Fear the Reaper. Mm -hmm. And when, as soon as that song was playing and I just got into writing, I just put it on repeat mm -hmm. and until I finished my script. Afterwards, whenever I want to, like until today, whenever I want to get into the mood and I'm not in the mood, I just sit, put the headphones on, put that song on repeat. Yep. Like the second well, that's round. Kind of a, that's kind of a symbolic song that you put on because <laughs> the act of writing is kind of the, a, a way of defying death. It's a way of, le well, it's a way of leaving yourself behind for others, you know, uh, leaving your sensibility in your which, mind behind. So. Yeah, which makes yeah. sense. But yeah. I mean, for me, it's just like, It just plays a lot until it's like just background noise yeah. and it just like, or like if you want to call it white noise and it just puts me in that spot That's really, again. I, I do that as well. It's funny you say you have to, uh, for me it has to either be songs that don't, music that has no lyrics. I listen to a lot of, of, of instrumental music or, you know, Icelandic composers, all, you know, any number, you know, classical music, any number of things. Or for me, it's a lot of piano music or it can be songs that I just love, but I know so well that, as you say, 
I'm not really, the lyrics aren't distracting me. Exactly. I can't write to, to great music that's sort of new to me because I end up yeah, listening, listening to, to it the too lyrics. much. Yeah. But you yeah. have a different trick also. Oh, uh, you want me to tell you my, my uh, <laughs> as I was explaining, uh, my biggest trick for staying in my chair, because staying in your chair is a really difficult thing, especially if you've got dogs and kids and errands and your house is falling apart and all the other things that we always have to deal with, is I take the, uh, the, the belt that goes to my bathrobe, it's a terry cloth belt, and, uh, uh, and tie it around the back of my chair and then around my waist with a, a knot that's like, you know, five knots so it, I can't just undo it it's going to take I don't make it impossible but it's going to take me 30 seconds or so or more to get it undone and just that <clears throat> when I reach or try to stand up or try to go the belt holds me in place and then the knot's going to be a pain and just that little bit of resistance helps me stay in the chair <laughs> if I've told myself that I'm going to stay in the chair you know and write for an hour um, so yeah I, I, look whatever trick works use it yeah. but just you know i guess the last thing i'll say today and thanks so much for for inviting me to be part of your podcast um is we are all writers we are all writers so if if it's something that you feel like's brewing inside you the only thing that's keeping you from doing it is yourself you don't need anything but a keyboard or a piece of paper so Jeff, thank you very much. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having um, me. And we look forward for... Do you have any new projects you're working on? I'm that? working on a couple of uh, animation projects right now. Um, when you're working on an animation project, you're, you're not allowed to say <laughs> what they are because it takes quite a long time to, um, to get... You know, it can take many years from, the, from when the writer is working on the treatments and the script to when it actually comes out, so... Can you tell us which studio? Yeah, one of them is uh, one of them is at Blue Sky, nice. uh, which is uh, Fox's uh, Blue Sky. You'll know from movies like Ice Age um, and Rio, uh, and um, the other one is at a, a place called Pearl Studio, which is a, a Chinese animation company that grew out of what was originally Oriental DreamWorks. It's affiliated with DreamWorks. They just released a movie called Abominable. Yes. Uh, I don't. Is that released here too? Yes. Yeah. I think so. It's a actually it's a movie that you need to see because it's about a yeti. So <laughs> I will, I'm I'm planning okay. on going and seeing. It. All right. Well, so, thanks again. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And um, I will, whenever that movie's out or one of those animation movies out, we're gonna come back and. All right. We'll even have a follow we have, up. Yeah, we'll yeah. have a follow up. Even if look? we have to come all the way to LA. Okay. You can come all the way to LA or. Maybe I'll be back here next year too. Yes, if that happens, inshallah, it will happen. Okay. Then we'll we'll have you on. So thank you very much. Um, thank you guys for listening. This was our episode, and we had our great background music. Yes, too. a lot of background music <laughs> and plates and noises and stuff. Uh, let us know in the comments how you felt about the episode. If you have any questions or anything, write it to us. And that's a wrap. 